As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello there, I'm Danny Kelly. I'm your host for The View from the Lane, the Athletics Tottenham Hotspur podcast. All thriller, no filler, and awards incoming, no doubt. On the show with us today, the Athletics' uh, Jack Pitbrook and James Moore. And there's plenty more to discuss in the aftermath of the weekend's defeat to Arsenal, James. Are we feeling any more philosophical about the defeat four days on? I mean, both of us were eating glass off the floor in our discomfort. What happened the weekend? Have you recovered? Is there a spring in your step now? Is the hat on the side of your head? Oh, yeah. I wouldn't say there was a, uh, a spring in my step just yet. And I'm not even sure uh, Europa League victory against Mora of Slovakia, Slovenia. That's a bit disrespectful. Slovenia. Slovenia, thanks. Uh, it's going to do it either. But um, I've calmed down a little bit. Let's just say that. Okay. Um, I hope that... Uh, uh, you haven't forgiven and forgotten though, because uh, we're, we're going to continue. No, absolutely not. Never forget. No, we're going to continue a more um, considered and leisurely version of the blame game. And to that, I think we need to turn to the athletic itself because, uh, Jack, you've written a long piece about the way Nuno is going about his business and is perceived inside the club rather than just what we were doing uh, on Monday, which was how, you know, looking at it from outside. Um, do you want to give people a kind of pricey? Of, of your piece, uh, so, so that they can get an idea of what we're talking about. Yes, yeah, so this is a story which we published this morning, looking at kind of how Nuno is perceived by the players and inside the club, and trying to you know trying to look at ex- explanations for why things have tailed off a bit in so badly in the last few weeks. Uh, the main thrust of what I'm saying is that there's definitely a feeling amongst the players that Nuno is just he's kind of a smaller fig, a smaller personality, I think, than. Pochettino and Mourinho like Mourinho and Pochettino very different in lots of ways but they're both kind of big charismatic figures who really I mean dominated the club in their own way during their tenures at Tottenham whereas Nuno is just a bit you know this is not a criticism of Nuno really as such like I you know I like I I like Nuno I think he's a smart honest engaging guy but the players feel like he doesn't really dominate the club in quite the same way you know he doesn't he doesn't communicate much with the players aside from the training pitch 
he doesn't really take an interest in them and talk to them that much and give them that kind of small talky type approach that they're used to. Even players who, you know, there were question marks about their futures during the summer and would have expected Nuno to be in touch with them, found that he wasn't really. So I think that that's a big part of it. And, and I wonder whether, or I, I feel that, Nuno's lack of kind of dominance across the whole, every aspect of the club means that he finds it harder to convince the players of his ideas. You know, this was always Mm. going to be one of the big question marks, I think, really, over this part of the season was, could this guy, who everyone knows is, you know, nowhere near Tottenham's first choice, could he come in with the authority to convince players to follow what he wants to do? Because that's really what management is about. It's about convincing the players to follow your ideas and to do what you want. And clearly, you know, looking at the Arsenal game and parts, you know, second half against Chelsea, second half against Palace... The players don't look at the moment like they do believe in what Nuno has to say. And I think, in part, this is because the the players have some doubts. That all said, I have detected a definite feeling amongst some of the senior players, which is sympathy with Nuno, for a few reasons. One is, there is still a lot of residual memory of the first Pochettino season, particularly amongst the guys who were there back then. So that's obviously Lloris, Kane, Dyer. And they they know that sometimes it's shit at the start. You know, Nuno's record after six league games is better than Pochettino's was. Pochettino, you know, I think had, what, 11 points from his first nine league games before the the famous Villa game. And there is a sense in the in the team that maybe they will have a, quote, Aston Villa moment, you know, where Kane's famous deflected free kick at Villa Park really launched the, the Pochettino era. And there's also a sense connected to that that maybe, and you know, we can talk about this later perhaps, but maybe it's time for the players to take some responsibility. You know, this has been a big theme over the last few years. Things start to go wrong. The players know that the manager will get sacked, not them. And so the players can hide behind that. And I think there is also a feeling amongst the players that may, maybe this time the players should take a bit of responsibility on themselves. So it, it's a pretty mixed picture for Nuno. But that's my that's my sense of the situation at the moment, Danny. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, one of the commenters, uh, subscriber to the Athletic, underneath your piece, Nick W. I think um, summed it up. He's boiled it down to uh, you know a couple of sentences. He says there is no doubt Nuno has had one of the most difficult sets of circumstances to operate under, as outlined by Jack. But his personality is one of the trickier aspects in all of this. He is at a club that has big players, where players keep each other accountable in the dressing room, and we need a strong leader the players can unite behind. If the cliché dressing room source is, not, is to be believed, Nuno isn't doing that. what's needed to unite those players, nor is he getting the best out of them. James, those of us who've been around all, you know, and, and love the game for a long, long time sometimes wonder. I mean, everything Jack says there, I think, uh, you know, he can probably point to a big sign above it that says true. But does it, should it matter um, if, uh, about his personality? What is it that Nuno should be doing differently from what we can see from the outside? I mean, I definitely think a manager's personality does matter. And I do wonder whether this slightly more sort of passive, quiet man would have been better served going into a club in a more positive moment, if you see what I mean. Like, mm. if things had been going well, if he'd been replacing like an outgoing manager who had either been poached by a club higher up the, higher up the tree or, you know, someone who had retired or whatever, then you go into, like, an atmosphere that, that's a little bit more positive when there's a bit more certainty about, like, the structure of the team and the way they're going to play, then maybe that's not as big an issue. But I kind of feel like Spurs needed a bit more leadership from their manager. And there are probably, and this is obviously a cliche as well, there are probably one or two players there that need an arm around a shoulder and a bit of geeing up to get them back to somewhere near the level they were before. 
and, I, and I'm not entirely convinced they're going to get either, either the carrot or the stick from Muno, really, from what we hear. I don't think he's one for chucking teapots around the dressing room either. And I do wonder whether he, they may be... And then this is like actually rowing back slightly on some of the stuff we said last season about Mourinho. So I kind of hold my hands up to that. Uh, sure. And I get the impression... I certainly know Jack had said some similar things to me on this podcast last season. And I get the impression from what you've said, Danny, that you probably felt the same. That actually maybe this group do need more of a more of a kick up the arse and do need to kind of be told explicitly that they do need to take some responsibility as well. Um, and, and clearly, you know, there, there are senior players in this group, but I do worry that there aren't enough senior players in a position of like being a, authority figures in terms of how big a role they play in the team, if you know what I mean. Like Eric, Eric Dyer is clearly like a senior figure in that dressing room and a very popular figure in that dressing room. But he's in and out of the team. They put, they need like, you know, more more players. You know, like, like Larus to an extent, and obviously Harry Kane at the other end of the pitch, who are in the team on a regular basis. I think who have that kind of mentality. There's the issue, and from that point of view, we'll come on to this um, later in the, in, in the podcast. Without saying everything we need to say about this, so I want to return to Nuno. You've got Larus who is kind of a Nuno personality himself. And once in every sort of six months, he gets fed up with what's going on in front of him and comes out. And, re- and really, it's just a, a display of disbelieving temper, isn't it? At the other end, you've got a player who didn't want to be there. And if you to use the language of the tabloid press, doesn't want to be there. So he can't be that. And people talk about Hoiberg. Hoiberg is still a relatively, he's, he's an experienced, but still a relatively young footballer. He just looks like he's, uh, possibly because of the two midfields he's spent most of his time in, he just looks like an old man. I'd also want to mention Son here as well. So I think Son is definitely part of that group of experienced players right. who does think that maybe it's time for the, for the dressing room itself to take a bit more responsibility. So I think so, you, you're looking really at Lloris... Dyer, Son, Hoybjerg, and then probably Kane. Also, on the Lloris point, I would direct any of our listeners who haven't read yet read it. He did a very interesting interview with Dan Kilpatrick in the Evening Standard, which was conducted before the North London derby, but published after it, in which he he talks about the fact that Nuno needs time, and it was you know it's time for the players to step up, and it's it's very much in keeping with the. Uh, theme that I wrote in in this piece which is this: there is this kind of sense of sympathy from the senior players for Nuno even though things are looking pretty sticky at the moment I really really want to talk about the players and their responsibility and I'm sure the listeners now want to do it as well but I think it's worth drilling down a little further into what Nuno is or isn't doing or just is or is not as a human being historically managers have to do what they have to do with the players but if you take someone who was unbelievably successful Alex Ferguson for the last three quarters of his reign at Manchester United, he hardly ever appeared on the training pitch. But his office at Carrington, as it then was, was a glass-fronted edifice looking out from the second floor of the building directly onto the training pitch. And the players at Man- old players from Manchester United would say, you would just see this figure staring down at what you were doing. So it doesn't have to be the touchy-feely, tree-hugging club that, say, Pochettino had done, where everyone had to shake hands in the morning, including... And I can't imagine the poor receptionist having to shake hands with sort of 30 footballers as they traipsed in every morning to, to do their work. There's different ways of doing these things. And if you take this up to the to the, modern, the most modern of all managers, Julian Nagelsmann, uh, these days, of course, at Bayern Munich. Nagelsmann, when he was starting out a few years ago on the touchline, used to wear eye makeup. So important does he think that, that, that the manager's appearance in the public eye, no pun intended, 
Um, you'll know when the puns are intended. They'll be <laughs> preceded by a man holding a red flag. Um, he, he he was making himself up, but not for the interviews, but for be, appearing on the touchline to manage his team, particularly at Hoffenheim. And uh, I wonder whether what we're seeing from Nuno at the moment, these extremely carefully worded, not to say monosyllabic press conferences prior to matches, and these slightly awkward interviews after the games, is already a person uncomfortable at the club himself and fearful for his own future. The example I'll give, Tuchel, after, after Chelsea lost in the Champions League, he was asked one question about what went wrong. I believe you saw it. He gave a six-minute answer at the side of the pitch in a second language that dissected the game 100%. 70% critical of what they were doing, 30% saying these are the reasons why it could have been better. And Nuno at the moment is just blowing bubbles back at us. Vacuous bubbles of nothing. I generally find with managers that there's a correlation between their honesty and their confidence and their authority. So someone like someone like Tuchel, for example, Tuchel's a brilliant talker. He speaks incredibly honestly about mm. a range of topics. You know, he's talking about vaccinations the other day. Uh, he he will speculate about things that and like talk you through his thought process and. That's because the guy just, I think in part, that's because the guy just won the Champions League. You know, he's in a very strong position. Security, he's confident. Yeah, yeah. He's got authority and security, so he'll say what he thinks. Pochettino, when Pochettino was flying high at Tottenham, he would just kind of go off on these great long diatribes in his press conferences about his memories of playing for Newell's Old Boys or his thoughts about the theories of the universe or whatever else. So... Again, manager with authority and confidence is able to talk like that. Whereas the one thing that Nuno doesn't really have is authority at the moment. Because of the circumstance of his appointment, because of the recent results, because of the fact that some of the players are not really fully engaged with his plans at the moment. I don't know whether if results were to change, if he would become a different person. But right now, why he can't take any risks. He can't say anything slightly interesting in a press conference. So I think that's kind of one, one of the issues here. I guess the comparison there would be Pochettino when he first took over at Spurs when... I think there was a sense that maybe he was being a bit coy about how much English he could speak because he was using the translator a lot that he had had at Southampton as well. And I think there was definitely a suggestion that he was maybe leaning on that slightly more than he needed to just to give himself a bit more breathing oh, yeah. because he was getting his feet under the table. And then as you say, Jack, by the time you know we were around to sort of 2017, 2018, 9, 2019 when he's deemed one of the best managers in the world and nobody is questioning how good a job he's doing or has done. You know, he's far more open to speak uh, in press conferences about a range of subjects. So I can I can sympathise him, you know, to an extent. But you're, you're right, Danny. I mean, in the circumstances when people are starting to question whether the whole thing is, is turning and isn't going to work, I think you do need to offer a little bit more than he has. I saw some journalists who covered PSG on Twitter moaning the other day about how Pochettino says nothing in his press conferences. It's all incredibly bland and banal and, mm. you know, we're focused on the next game and it's important all the players play well and, and that kind of thing. And that struck me as being so different from the Pochettino that I know from, from covering Spurs. And of course, there's like a language issue here, but I think a part of it is what I was just saying a minute ago, which is about authority. You know, Pochettino, you know, was a, a huge figure at Tottenham. In relative terms, he's quite a small figure at PSG in the context of Neymar and Messi and Leonardo and Nasser Al-Khalifi and all the rest of it. So I think that just goes to show that even you know, a figure as big as Pochettino, if he walks into a different job where he doesn't have the same authority that he had before, suddenly, you know, he's not able to speak with quite the same confidence and freedom. I don't want Nuno to suddenly 
put on a tricorn hat, do some kind of a jig at the press conferences. But I think at the moment, some of it looks passive aggressive to me already. Yeah. The waves of, uh, of uh, non-communication look like he's already looking towards how will this look in six months' time when I'm possibly looking for another job. And I noticed, James, um, that you, you nodded your head there. And indeed, I think you nodded your head by saying yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would agree with that, I think. Yeah, yeah. I know that some journalists have an issue with Nuno's lack of honest, like lack of forthcoming answers in press conferences. Personally, I don't really care. You know, yeah. it's up to him how he conducts it's his press conference. It's up to him. He can he can tell the media as much or as little as he wants to. It's, it's entirely up to him. I think the issue more is... Is he being one person in press conference and another person in training ground? We'd hope so. And can he convince the players of his ideas? Like how interesting and engaging he is with the media is not really a big issue. In the, it's it's the kind of thing that the media overblow. Like it doesn't actually like, matter. Like in and of itself, I don't think it's a big issue that. But I, I think it, it sort of has ominous signs about about his communication in, in tandem with the things that we hear, you know, from totally. sources around the club and whatever that, that his communication has been not not so much a problem, but not so much present either. Let's t- let's take a a small break and when we come back I think the issue here coming up it's a mirror image of you know we've been poking Nuno with a stick for for the last podcast and a half there are other people involved here other than obviously Levy, Enoch etc and that's the players and we'll ask next whether the players should take some responsibility in the phrase that you even hear being shouted from terraces what does that mean how would it actually work what would it look like in practice Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Yeah, you're listening to The View from the Lane. We're very glad to have you along for the ride. I'm Danny Kelly. James Moore is with us, as is Jack Pitt-Brook. And it's become a kind of thing that football fans shout at a pitch. Take some responsibility. I hear it all the time. And now we've arrived after those three horrible defeats in the London derbies at a moment where people say the players need to take more responsibility. I'll start with you, James. What does that actually mean for people to take more responsibility? I mean, in one way, we're told they have to follow the instructions of the coach. So responsibility is taken out of their hands. It's not expected of them. Yeah, that, that is the dichotomy really, isn't it? That, that the, you know, you want players to be following the, the instructions of the manager, but on the other hand, you do also want them to be using their initiative and kind of solving those players out on the pitch in the moment. I think when people when people shout that from the terraces, all they really want is to see someone like run around and clatter someone, right? I, yeah. don't, I don't think anyone's really expecting like the central midfielder to to rearrange the the, the lineup of, of the, the the you know the makeup of the midfield and to shift people around and to 
you know, like make tactical switches. I think all they want to do is see someone get clattered and get people off their seats uh, or, you know, t- pick up the ball and beat three or four players. You know, I don't think anyone's really expecting like tactical stuff or, or anything of any real value. No, no, no. It's, a, it's, a, it's an expression of frustration, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But I, but I do definitely think that, that that is an issue now. And, you know, I, I, and again, we're exposing ourselves to accusations of hypocrisy slightly, given what some of the things we said last season. But I just think, you know, when you look at it and that we're, we're kind of three or four managers deep now with this group of players, and it, it does feel like it is fairly obvious now that there is an issue there with the mentality of some of those players, not all of them. I don't know, despite despite it being obvious that the, the overall quality of the, of the squad has declined over the last two or three seasons, mm. they definitely are better than they've shown in these last three games and in general over the last 18 months, two years. I mean, I know this is saying this with a benefit of hindsight and some people have been saying it the whole way through, so I credit to them, but there is clearly a, a slight issue there where there, there are players there who perhaps feel like they're having a bit of an easy ride. That was a sentence that jumped out of your piece uh, Jack, when you said you think that some of these Spurs players actually think this is not a bad gig. You get, um, I, I mean, I wish you were my agent because when you said that they are relatively well paid, um, I think they're pretty well paid, i got to be honest. You mean relative to, to Lionel Messi, I suppose. Yeah. And yet there seems to be no pressure on them. It jumped off the page at me, actually, that, that, uh, that, that comment. That's definitely a, a sentiment I've detected from amongst those close to the team is that there is a feeling that maybe it's time for some of these guys to to actually kind of take some of the burden burden of pressure on themselves I think when you're asking what is what does it mean to take responsibility I think it mean I mean it doesn't just mean play better I think it means play better knowing that there is an excuse to hide behind because there is an excuse to hide behind here which is the fact that Nuno is new into the gig and he's kind of struggling to impose himself here and the issue that I think some people have had with the Spurs players under Pochettino and Mourinho is that as soon as it became clear the manager was struggling, I think some of the players thought, oh, you know, we can turn it in and it's going to be his his job on the line, not ours. And so I think the, the, the question at this point is, given that Nuno is now struggling, is are they going to do what they did under, under Pochettino and Mourinho and kind of let it happen? In which case, Nuno will be out the door by Christmas. Or are they going to say, well, yeah, you know, this excuse exists, but nevertheless, why don't we try and just play well and win anyway and then uh, see where it takes us? So I think that that's kind of the nub of the issue right now. That's the interesting thing, though, isn't it? Like, if they make that decision and they go with the former and they kind of semi-sack it off again, at what point do Levy and now Paratici say, well, hang on a second, like, you can't constantly keep doing this every six months, 18 months, however long. Like, we're going to have to, like, ditch the squad and stick with a manager. And if that is the case, is Nuno the manager you hang your hat on? I would say possibly not. Uh, and then it leaves you in a situation where you're not really kind of, you've realised there's an issue with the players, but also you're looking at this manager and saying this isn't quite right either. And then suddenly it's like, there's not really a lot to build on there, is there? It's really interesting you should, you should, you should just put the question like that, because um, if you check the, whichever the measures you re- use, let's say the Deloitte's figures, Spurs are one of the 10 most valuable and highest earning clubs in the world. Every one of those clubs has got a manager uh, currently who people have either been hugely successful or people were scrambling to get hold of, like Julian Nagelsmann. The exceptions are Spurs and Manchester United. And exactly the same conversation is constantly had about Solskjaer, isn't it? Just been thinking back to what James was saying a minute ago about um, about the comparison with the Pochettino and Mourinho eras. Like, and maybe I'm going to admit some hypocrisy like James did as well, but certainly under Pochettino, under Mourinho, my view was... I had what I kind of characterise as like quite a modern take on this, which is the players are fine. 
It's the manager's job to get them to play better. If the manager's failing to get them to play well, then the manager has to pay with his job. And it's not the player's fault. And this is kind because that's kind of the dynamic in modern football, right? It's that nobody blames the players because the players never take responsibility. So the responsibility is only incumbent on the manager to get them to play well. And if he can't do that, get someone else in. But having seen this happen yet again, and so I kind of like scorned this idea that it was the player's fault. Well, first time round, you don't know, do you? When it happened in Pochettino, no. you, there's no way of knowing that that's what's happened. You make the obvious assumption that these things run their run their course, which I still think is sort of partly true. But yeah, it's, it's second time round when a Hamas and Mourinho, and may, maybe you have to ask the question. Mm. Very quickly, uh, Jack, um, uh, you you took me aback um, at, in in the last podcast, and I like the way we're going to start pulling each other up by things you said three days ago when you said that uh, the difference between Spurs and some of the other clubs with whom they're competing, and you mentioned specifically Atletico Madrid and and Dortmund. I think I'm right in saying um, yeah. was that the Spurs don't sell their players. Just been thinking of. I thought about that a lot. Believe it or not, Jack, the things that you say, I don't just airily dismiss. I went away and thought about it, and I think the difference is just just because Spurs fans listen to our voices, is that both Dortmund and Atletico uh, live in uh, exist in a league where you can sell your best players on, bring in new ones, and still semi guarantee qualification for the Champions League. In the Premier yeah. League, you have no such luxury. If you sell your best players. You won't qualify for the Champions League. And this kind of angst that we're all steeped in in the last few days is what incurs. You improve your rivals and you yourself head straight for mid-table. That's a really good point. It would be much more of a risk for a Premier League team to do that kind of endlessly recycling model. I think given that, I can understand, that kind of explains to an extent why Levy would be a little bit more, God, like why would I give away these amazing players who've got me into the top yeah. four? Because so look at Leicester for example. Leicester sold Mares and Kante and let other top players Maguire. go. And they and they brought in yeah and and Maguire and they brought in other really good young players and they've they've tried to do what I've kind yes. of suggested yes. that Tottenham might try to do. And it's not and it's kind of worked, but not quite worked. They so had they a massive dip in between, you know. They had they, yeah. you know, they won yeah, the league in twenty sixteen, then like seven twenty seven sixteen, seventeen, seventeen, eighteen, they were pretty bad, weren't they? And only yeah, when Rogers came in they kind yeah. of started to come back up again. And they've come back in a sense, like they have won the FA Cup, but they have but they've missed out on they've blown fourth twice in a row now. And it I mean, I doubt they're gonna get Champions League this year, which just goes to show like how difficult it can be to try that kind of Dortmund Atletico trick in the very much more competitive environment of the Premier League. You saw Monday Night Football, I suppose, with, with Jamie Carragher and his astonishingly brilliant analysis of the defeat yeah, really yeah. um, yeah. at, at, at the Emirates, where he pointed out that the mistakes that led to the first goal had been made in the first minute and the second minute. And, yeah. and yeah. I think a team that wasn't leaning on the fact that they don't fancy the manager or don't know him yet, let's, let's be generous say they just don't know him yet, I think a team of experienced professionals would have said, actually, that's happened twice now. We need to stop that. And would have stopped in Dombele and Deli Alley going quite so gung-ho past the, 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 their own midfield station. But no such thing occurred. And, you know, you can be over-dependent on the, on, the, on the manager's instructions. And this is a difficult tightrope because we're telling the players at the same time to follow the manager's instructions but also to defy them if they're not working. And that takes guts and intelligence, you know, because all footballers are fit and they can all control a football. Not quite the way Messi controlled that football the other night in Paris, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, and it, we're asking a lot of them, but we're going to have to see it, I suppose, because at the moment, 
the system is, is creaking, isn't it? Yeah, I think that was a perfect example, really, of the probably the, arguably the, the failure of those senior players to really change the flow of the game. Like that's the sort of kind of situation that ideally you would want Kane, Son, Dyer, Hoiberg, Lloris to realise that in fact they need a slightly different approach. Well, we talked about we talked about that with Hoiberg, didn't we, on on Monday? You know, he, he yeah. was massively exposed by that system, mm-hmm. and yet he yeah. was still hurrying on beyond the other two midfielders, trying to trying to win the ball high up the pitch and leaving this massive gap in behind them. And he's one of the players we're saying is a senior player, is is a winner in this group, and it has the, has the right mentality. And yet he hasn't solved he hasn't helped solve the problems left caused by the system, has he? He's exacerbated them. Well, I don't know whether he was expecting when he went on those forays forward to try and break up Arsenal's play at a different point, whether he was expecting Sanchez and Dyer to follow him. Um, they didn't. I wonder if in part it's because Tottenham have moved so much between, like, Pochettino's approach was very much a kind of Guardiola-style approach, which was, here's my plan A, you guys have to go and learn it off by heart. This is my complex, this is what he called the positional game, which is, again, a sort of the system that Guardiola uses as well. Here's my style. You guys go and learn it. If you implement it perfectly, we're, we're going to win games. Whereas the Jose approach is kind of the opposite of that. The Jose approach was, you, you're all smart, experienced players. You go and figure it out for yourselves. You know, it was all, it was putting it all on the players, really. And there wasn't that much detailed tactical instruction, particularly on how, on how to create moves. So the Spurs players have kind of moved between these very different approaches in the last two seasons. Now, Nuno's come in with a new set of ideas that aren't that different from what Mourinho in some, in some principles. But now the players are kind of caught between... Well, this guy's only been here a few minutes. We don't know how much longer he's going to be here. Are we going to kind of go all in on the sort of Nuno plan and do everything he says? But it's kind of harder for Nuno to get him to do that because he doesn't speak with the same authority that Pochettino did. Or are we going to figure it out for ourselves on the pitch and and take and take back control? So I think I feel like the players are kind of caught between uh, basically between the club. They're kind of victims of the club chopping and changing football strategy, really. Yeah. And they're, they're kind of left a little bit as I'm not sure the players know quite what to do or who to follow. You're absolutely right. And, uh, and that comes from a lack of vision at footballing level within the club. You can still argue Daniel Levy has done a lot of things very, very well in terms of building that wonderful stadium. And people forget, um, I'm, I'm now I'm in the hypocrisy club, slightly defending Levy, who I was getting on his case last week, forcing Tottenham's debt for the for the stadium out to, in some cases to 50 years now but the lack of leadership about what direction the football club wants to go in I think Pochettino provided that after his first difficult period but since then it has just been a, a kind of reactive mess let's end this with another comment from the uh, excellent people who subscribe uh, to The Athletic um, Evan B. Um, had to say this about your article, Jack. Genuinely curious, you said, in American sports like basketball or American football, veteran players have some say when it comes to game planning and adjusting on the field. Is this not something that happens in football? Can Hugo, the usual names, Harry, Sonny, uh, PEH, or any other veterans in the squad provide Nuno with some of their input in what might work? It just doesn't seem to be quite the same, uh, I have to say, Evan, in professional football. And occasionally you'll get one player who's call, always called, he's the manager's voice on the pitch. Spurs yeah. definitely don't have that at the moment. Let's have another quick break, break and we'll come back. Let's talk about the upcoming next two matches. One against a team that even I, who study things pretty closely, have no idea what they're going to bring. And then, um, back in the Premier League, a, a very difficult game against a resurgent Aston Villa. <laughs> 
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. All right, I guess it's 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 fair to say that NS Mura will have to take care of itself somewhat in the Conference League, although I suspect Harry Kane might want to play to get um, his shooting boots oiled. But what needs to happen, Jack, against Aston Villa on Sunday, uh, or in both these games, if you like, for things to start to look more positive, for things to turn around? Aston Villa are a very, very good team. I think they're both must-wins. It doesn't really matter if they go through in the Conference League or not, but it would just be very embarrassing if they were to not win yeah, to exactly. a team that... I think was formed the day. Someone told me they were formed the day after um, Sergio Aguero's winner against QPR in 2012. Oh, really? So they're, yeah, they're nine years old. And Esmura, uh, sorry, Dan Kilpatrick from the Standard for stealing that bit. Well done, Dan. Me. So they've got to win that game. They've really got to beat Aston Villa at home. I mean, after after those last three league defeats, which has been an absolute catastrophe, they have to they have to play better, and that means going in with a better plan. It means the players following the instructions Either either following the instructions or making up by themselves. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So you've got to choose one <laughs> of those players. Have got to, if you're listening, choose one of those two <laughs> options, but don't do neither, which is what happened in the Arsenal game. It also means no one's got to get injured. I mean, the, the fitness, this is kind of a defensive Nuno, but the squad just isn't fit at the moment. Everyone, you know, people are either unfit or injured. And if anybody gets injured tonight, if a senior player gets injured tonight, then that'd be a disaster as well. But I feel like things are kind of on a knife edge at the moment so it's kind of imperative the next four days goes well Nuno needs to win that game and I know a lot of people will be listening to this after uh, after the game but Nuno needs to win the game on Thursday night more than Spurs do I think it, for him yes, it would be that, that, the embarrassment that. is more for him than for Spurs obviously it would be embarrassing for Spurs how are you going to measure this embarrassment it cannot be more embarrassing than the first half against Arsenal laughing emojis that I get sent on WhatsApp during those 45 and piles minutes. of that's, shit emojis yeah, and all that yeah, 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 yeah sure, exactly yeah. Sure. But that's, that's my measure all right um, yeah, I agree with that. They're definitely two must-win games, and Villa, as you say, are in a you know in very good form. They look a good side, and that would be quite telling actually if Spurs did lose that game because Villa are a side who, on the face of it, at the moment you'd say probably went out and well, one they sold the key player that Manchester City wanted to sign over the summer, mm-hmm. and two they then went out and signed good players that improved their starting eleven straight away, and it all looks like it's working very well for Villa at the moment. I know they lost to Watford on the first game, and they had a couple of other sort of not great results. Um, I think they drew a Brentford at home. But, you know, generally they look they look like they're a side moving in the right direction, a club moving in the right direction. And Spurs, I don't think you would say that about at all. The big question, I guess, going into the Villa game is, will there be a kind of massacre of the players who played badly in the Arsenal game? You know, because he could drop... And Dombele, Ali, I imagine Dyer will probably stay in the team, mm-hmm. actually. Tanganga, Reguillon, you know, 
not, none of these Sanchez, none of these guys are undroppable. But I wonder whether it's time. I wonder what direction the chopping and changing will take him in. He's got to be careful. You can't drop everyone that played badly against Arsenal, can you? Well, I mean, no, indeed just not. purely on the basis of the numbers, you can't do that. It'd just be Brian Hill, and he would only play for eleven minutes against Villa. <laughs> he just come on for the last eleven. But then minutes. The, the problem is the fringe players, the guys who you would want him to bring in for the Villa game. They're probably going to play against NS Muro that, tonight yeah, in, exactly. the, in the Conference League. At which point, it, because it, you know, do you want to give them two games in a row? It's tough. It's yeah. really tough. I, I still think we're at the stage of the season, though, where a good and this with all respect to NS Muro, a good run out on a Thursday is getting getting good positive minutes into your legs, rather than say a similar game that was, was taking place in March. Definitely would want to play. You can make five substitutions in this competition, can't you? So I think yeah. actually start like quite a strong eleven, and then you know if. You start with Kane and Son and they both get a goal in the first half and Spurs are 3-0 up then you can hook both of those at half-time. I mean, that's perfect, right? Yeah. Win, win the game, get confidence up, get those off at half-time uh, and get them in the team on Sunday. That seems to be the logical... That won't be what happened, but... I, no, I, no, no. That's that, the logical solution. Because that would, that would be too positive, wouldn't it? That would be, that'd be, that'd be too delicious for us. If it goes very badly against Aston Villa, and this is no disrespect to Aston Villa as a team, we will have another clue as to what exactly is going on between the players and their coach which occupied us for the first 30 minutes of this podcast. Uh, it's been a joy, gentlemen. Thank you very much indeed. Also, thank you to all of you who are listening. I know when teams aren't winning, in many ways, these podcasts are at their most interesting, but it's also painful sometimes to hear people having to be negative. Hopefully, we'll have something better to say on Monday. In the meanwhile, if you're not already a subscriber, you can read all of Jack's articles on Spurs, particularly this one that he's written about Nuno today. It's terrific. By going to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. And right now you can sign up with a 33% discount on a full subscription. We'll be back on Monday, hopefully with the hats, as we say in this part of the world, on the Kildare side. See you then. The Athletic.